Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we've been talking about culture. So this is something that Ben and I, um, we believe is really important for us as a church. It's important to have a healthy vision, but we truly believe that if vision is where we're going, then culture is the vehicle that will get us there. So what type of culture we have will determine how we get to our vision. How many bumps along the road will we hit or will it be a smooth drive? We believe that having a healthy culture is a part of our mandate as a church. How we do things, how we get to where God wants us to go. Our culture is really important. So we talk about culture a lot and, and you know, Ben and I decided that we will address our culture every year. Every year where we plant a vision, it needs to be partnered with healthy culture. So you're going to know this. You're going to stick around. You're going to know this. But not only know this, you're going to let this transform your life. We have four things that are a part of our culture statement, which is remain helpful, which Pastor Ben spoke on last week. And you can check out the YouTube channel if you missed that. Uh, remain humble, which we're going to speak to today. Remain hopeful and remain his. These are our four culture statements. And guess what are the four really hard things to do? Anything that you declare. You, once you've declared it, guess what? The enemy is going to be like, well, I'm just going to zone in on that. Can I honestly tell you this week after Ben preached on remain helpful was the hardest week for me to be helpful. It was. It's because like we declared it and we said, yeah, we're going to do this. And so the enemy was like, well, I'm going to poke at that. I'm going to irritate that a little bit. So be prepared because we're going to talk about being humble today, which means this week is going to be challenging. Okay, be prepared to remain humble. Can we do that? All right, awesome. Just a quick thing, Pastor Ben and Matt Giannakis, they are in Australia at the moment. Uh, ben was preaching at a church yesterday and he's got um, a full week of ministry this week as well. So he will be back in two weeks' time. Um, finishing off this series on Remain His, he's missing everyone terribly. He, like, does not leave well. Like, he's, like, as soon as he, like, was... Okay, I dropped him off at the airport. As soon as he was in the door, he's like, I miss you. And I was like, okay, babe, it's been five minutes. Um, but that's Ben. So he's missing you guys terribly. So know that when he comes back, he's going to be buzzing. Um, but that's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you keep him in your prayers. We're going to be talking about remain humble today. You know, and in the Bible, we read that humility or humbleness is a quality of being courteously respectful of others. It's the opposite of aggressiveness. It's the opposite of arrogance, boastfulness, and vanity. It's not about me first. It's about you first, my friend. It's about going, putting God and others above our own selfish interests. It comes with the knowledge that God's creation as a whole, so everything that God has created, God's creation as a whole, transcends our narrow view and our narrow ambitions. Is As with other aspects of wisdom, and we'll read about this later, that humility is a part of wisdom, it will gain us much more than we sacrifice. In Proverbs 11, 2, it says, with humility comes wisdom. And Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. And you're like, sweet, got to be humble then, got to get that wealth and honor and life. Just wait. Like anything, when we're reading through the scriptures, we must refer to the golden rule. Who knows what the golden rule is? 
Do unto others as you would have them do to you. We find that in Luke 6.31 where Jesus reminds us that you, can't, you shouldn't just love those who love you. That's way too easy, right? But he's actually calling out on us, can you love your enemies? When someone comes up to you and they uh, treat you with uh, aggressiveness or anger or even hate, can you return that with love? So the golden rule is how you want others to treat you. So all those people that are nudging the person next to them about you got to remain humble. Guess what? Today's about you. Today's about your heart. Today is about assessing your heart. It's not about assessing me up here. It's not about assessing the person next to you if they're chewing on their gum too loudly. It's not about that, right? Today is about you going, my heart. Can I remain humble? Can I show others how I want to be loved by first loving them? That is our golden rule. In... um, It actually, humility is one of our greatest tools for leadership. It actually helps us navigate uh, through our mistakes and it guides and tempers our heart in moments of victory and success. So in moments of victory and success, so often humility is like an afterthought because we're like, yes, I'm the winner. Like if you've ever played a board game with me, I'm really sorry. But when you get, like I don't lose. So when I win... (laughs) which is 100% of the time, being super humble here, guys. Um, My response isn't necessarily one of humility. If anything, it's pride. Now I'm proud that I've beaten everyone at games because because I'm good at them or I'm just super competitive. And that that there's a a pride there. And it's not all necessarily bad, But humility isn't necessarily the first thing that I respond to. So we're going to look at how we can make humility something as one of the first things that we respond to. But we're first going to talk about three things that are actually divisive to humility. Three things that actually cause division. Whereas humility brings unity, these things actually divide. And the first one Pastor Ben touched on last week um, briefly, but I want to touch on it again. It's talk and gossip. Proverbs 15, 1 to 2 says this. A gentle answer, uh, sorry, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. See, we read this and we're like, oh, okay, well, I just won't say anything. See, the Bible isn't saying then we need to remove truth. It's not saying that you shouldn't speak truth. It's not saying that you shouldn't confront things when they need to be confronted. If Andrew here were to ask me for a glass of water and I had a glass of water, I could either pass him the glass of water or I could throw the water in his face. Either way, he's getting water. Isn't it? He's getting water. So I've done what he's asked. But the approach, one is gentle, one is not. Guess which is which? If you think throwing the water is the gentle approach, then we can talk and have pastoral care later. But it's gentleness is about your heart towards others. Gentleness isn't about removing truth or removing the things that we stand on as a firm foundation when it comes to knowing the gospel message. It's how we approach people with it. Are we being helpful in giving them the message, in how we're giving them the message? Um, one of the things that we do really well as a culture is venting. Who's ever needed a good vent session? Just got to get it off my chest. Oh, I've just needed to 
just need to get it off my chest. And somehow along the way, we've taken being wise with processing what we're going through and we've forgotten about the wisdom that comes with processing things and we've kind of just like sprayed all of our problems all over everyone. That's what venting is. Venting is, I don't care about how anyone else is right now. I need to get something off my chest. I need to deal with something that is bothering me. Whereas God's actually just saying in, in these Proverbs to be intentional about when you're processing these, these things. There is always a time, a place, and a right person for something. And on top of that, a right season. See, if I would have talked to my friend Betty two years ago about a problem that I was going through, and then fast forward to today, had a problem, and I go, well, I talked to Betty two years ago, so I'll talk to Betty about it today. But the season may be wrong. One, Betty may not be in a place to be actually able to help me right now. She might have been in a place where she could help me then, but right now in the season that I'm at, is Betty the right person to talk to? Is this the season where I can actually give her my heart and know that it's going to be the right time, the right person, the right place? We need to understand the different seasons of life so that when we're processing our burdens, when we're processing things, we're not being foolish with our words and just letting them fly off their handle, but we're being intentional with who we're talking to at what time. I can honestly tell you, talk to who needs to know. As soon as you go outside of like that boundary of need to know, it's turning into gossip and it'll trickle out. Why? Because if someone needs to know, then there's a buy-in in what, what you're sharing with them. If someone doesn't need to know, then they don't care at the same level as someone else who would have a buy-in to that situation. So they're not going to be as careful. They may not be intentionally trying to disrupt things but I tell you what they won't be as careful and so often our words aren't necessarily acts of vengeance or tearing someone down but so often when we let gossip come in it's actually an an act of carelessness like I would hope that as a church body you guys aren't out for revenge on things I would hope that you're not planting seeds of words in the church body to tear people down. I hope that that wouldn't be your heart intent. But in the same way as we read, don't gush in with folly. Be careful, be restrained, think before you speak. And that's what we're talking about here. It's the carelessness that sometimes catches us off guard, off guard. Gossip is an act of hostility intended to harm someone's reputation. That's what it is. We must avoid the temptation to misrepresent someone by, or someone's actions or who they are, their character, as an act of revenge, prejudice, or carelessness. In Proverbs 16, 28, it says this, An evil man sows strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. I have known people that have been separated from a beautiful friendship because of words, words at the wrong time to the wrong person in the wrong place. Words break, they make or break human relationships. They can either make war or they can make peace. They are a weapon. And like any weapon, they need to be used carefully. In James 3, verse 2 to 5, we read, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Number two is judging uh, judging others. <laughs> judging others. Um, self-righteousness is actually a really hard sin to avoid. I grew up in a very good Christian home. I grew up knowing exactly what the word said about how I should behave as a Christian. And so when I encountered people that didn't behave in the way that the word said, I was really um, confused. And I was like, why aren't they? The Bible is very clear about this. Why aren't they doing that? And I wasn't doing it in a way, I didn't think I was doing it in a way of being judgmental, but it was actually birthed out of self-righteousness. And, and that is a very scary place to be in because you do cast judgment, but I didn't realize that my whole childhood, my whole development, being in a strong Christian family gave me a foot up sometimes. I actually was at an advantage when it came to understanding how I should behave so that when I encountered someone who didn't behave that way, I was like, oh, well, that's not very good, is it? And I became self-righteous, not understanding that everyone's on a journey and everyone has a next step in their life. Everyone sitting in this room right now, your next step looks different to the person next to you. Your next step in your faith journey looks different. But do you know that's great? That's why we say, you hear it all the time, join the journey. Because we're all walking in a direction trying to get closer to Jesus. Some of us are just at different steps of it. No one is better or worse. We're just on a journey to Jesus. And so self-righteousness is something that is, it makes it so much easier to see other people's faults than ours. My favorite preacher in the whole entire world, really good looking brown guy, has three beautiful kids and pretty cool wife too. He says this thing, he'll be so happy with me. It's my husband, guys. Yeah. A surprise. <laughs> You're all like, why is she saying that about someone else when she's married? Because it's my husband. Okay, he says this, and like I've stolen it, and I use it all the time now, which he's chuffed about. He's like, <laughs> um, be someone who looks for the gold in others because anyone can find dirt. Isn't that so true? Isn't it in, doesn't it take some intentionality and some discipline to actually find gold? It is way easier for us to sit in self-righteousness and see dirt. It's way easier to take that approach. We see in this, this parable that Jesus represents in Matthew 7, where he's talking to um, He's talking to us believers saying, instead of like trying to pull out the speck in like this person's eye, do you realize you have something that's damaging people as you turn? This board is sticking out of your own eye, but we don't see it. We don't see even in our self-righteousness that we have things that need to transform in our lives. We're too busy judging others. We're too busy looking at the faults of others. That's so much easier. But if you were to say to me, Emma, what is God challenging in your life right now? I'm like, that's too hard to talk about. I don't want to talk about that. Hey, but what are you doing? Hey, I noticed you did that. Let me, let me think about your behavior and let me tell you what I think you should do better. That's easier. But that's the, that's the temptation that we must fight off. Jesus says, don't judge others. God is actually the judge. God is the one that brings judgment. He's the one that created the law. So how are we supposed to uphold the law when we aren't the ones that it was birthed from? We can't. So we leave that to God. God is a good judge. Like, and not like a, oh, you're all going bad. Like, he's a good judge. He's a good character. He, he can judge well and know our hearts better than anyone else can. So leave that with him. Trust him with that. 
James 4.11 says this, Don't criticize and speak evil about each other, dear brothers. If you do, you will be fighting against God's law of loving one another. Who's ever gone and picked out a fight with love? Like, oh, I just feel like fighting today. I might challenge love. I challenge you to a duel, love. We shall fight till death. Guess who's going to win? Love's going to win. But when we start criticizing others, when we start judging others, we're choosing to fight the law of love that God has planted in us. When we start looking at others and going, you're doing this wrong, we're fighting not against them, we're fighting against the law of love. Isn't that a chilling concept? To choose to fight love. Like, that just seems like a ridiculous notion. Who would actually go out to do that? We should not be judging others. We should not be in our self-righteousness. And that's not to say that we remove righteousness, godly righteousness from our life. We should always, as a priesthood, a cold priesthood, God calls us out to be a holy royal priesthood. We should always be choosing to chase after God's righteousness for our lives. doesn't mean, well, I don't have to be self-righteous, so I'm just going to get up to no good. It's like, no, sit under my righteousness Sit under that. Number three is anger and revenge. You know no one actually makes you angry. It's your response to a situation, to an action or an event. That's anger is a response that we feel to something that's happened. Now, it happens to all of us. Who's ever not been angry? Yeah, I know, right? Good. I was looking to see if anyone actually believes that. I've been angry. Ben talks about how he gets angry when people munch, like make mouth noises. Do you know, I said he has to stop talking about that on the platform because no one's going to invite us over for dinner because they'll all be scared to actually sit next to Ben and be, my pastor does not like mouth noises. We cannot have tacos tonight. <laughs> like, honestly, there's some foods that are just banned in our house. Like, soup is a no-go. Like, you cannot slurp on noodle soup. Ben hates it. He does, he does not like it. I shouldn't say hate. Hate's a bad word. No, it's not. <laughs> Expressing anger tends to prolong and actually reinforce our anger rather than purge it. Like when you express anger, do you feel less angry? Generally not. And does the person that you've expressed anger to feel less angry? I'm not going to say that that's a hard yes. I'm going to say that's a no. I'm going to say when you actually respond with anger, guess what's happening? It's like that little fire. It's getting bigger. It's like you're putting wood on that flame and that thing is burning bright. And anger just explodes at some point and then you have an emotional breakdown and then generally it's like sweaty tears or something ridiculous. Like it's not pretty. Sweaty, I don't know. <laughs> I don't sweat while I cry, just to be clear. It's actually too easy to react that way to our annoyances and our disappointments with anger. It's far more challenging, but much better to respond with an understanding of empathy. So going, all right, I'm removing myself from viewing this in my lens right now and going, how do they feel? What are they thinking? That doesn't mean you need to be void of self. That's not what I'm saying. You do need to actually measure your own heart. But instead of instantly letting a reaction happen, Respond by trying to see it from their side and then choose love instead of anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Like, no one ever wanted to be a fool. Like, I, I didn't, like, wake up as a five-year-old and go, oh, 
when I grow up, I want to be a fool. Like, no one does that. No one's thinking that. You want to be wise. You want to be someone that has wisdom that you can then share wisdom. And so in that, we must control our temper. We must learn actually how to hold it back. It doesn't say you don't have a temper. We all have a temper of some sort. But do we know how to manage it? Do we have the wisdom? And from wisdom comes discipline. Do we have that discipline to actually restrain that temper? James 1, 19 to 20 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. When we respond in anger, we're not getting closer to the righteous life that Christ has designed for us. That doesn't lead us closer to God's calling on our life. Yes, it's an expression that we have at times, and the the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath, so make sure you deal with it in the day. When you don't deal with it, it turns into a grudge. Who's had a grudge before? Like, man, I've had a grudge before. I have. A grudge is like tar. It's like having tar on your feet and you're stuck And you can't move. It doesn't actually propel you into the purposes of God. Holding on to a grudge, that only destroys the grudge holder. It kills your heart. It kills your character. You may be holding on to a grudge and someone does not know that you're holding on to a grudge against them. So guess who it's destroying? It's destroying you. We need to learn how to let go of grudges. We need to get healing for that. We actually need to get healing for that. You know, the world is not void of drama or politics. The church is not void of it. Wherever you go, whatever circumstance, I can assure you there'll be drama, there'll be politics. Why? Because there's people. The question is, do you feed it? Are we a church that feeds drama? Are we a church that feeds politics? Because I can tell you what the outcome will be. You'll be having grudges stuck on you left, right, and center, and you will not be propelling the kingdom of God any further. I don't want to be known for someone who sows seeds of drama and politics. I want to know, I I acknowledge they're there. I'm not like naive to the fact that they exist. In your workplace, in your family, wherever it is, you can acknowledge that they exist, that it exists, doesn't it? But don't feed it. It's not something that you should be growing like a plant. You shouldn't be watering it. You shouldn't be feeding it. It should be something that we acknowledge and cut off, that we learn to have the strategies and the character that does not allow that to become a foothold for the enemy to keep the kingdom back. A grudge purely keeps the kingdom back because it keeps you back. If you've got tar on your feet, you're not going anywhere. You're not advancing anywhere. So I'm telling you today, church, if you've got a grudge, deal with it. We've all been there. Like everyone at some point, you're not less of a a welcome party here. We've all had things that we've had to deal with. Don't just hide it away and say, I don't want to deal with it because it looks bad or whatever. That's just keeping shame a hold of it. Let it out in the open. Say, God, I'm dealing with this today. I'm not saying go tell everyone your problem. Okay, that's unwise. But start dealing with it in your heart. Start letting go of that. Start getting unstuck from that grudge. Returning love for hatred can act, love for hatred actually actually cools the fire of anger. When we respond to anger with empathy and love, we can often break the cycle of hatred and convert even our enemies to being our friends. Jesus gave us that command: love our enemies, the golden rule. Love your enemies. 
By humility, we acknowledge that God created us for his purposes and not for our self-glorification. We're going to talk about self a little bit later, but we, we need to understand by humility, we acknowledge the dignity of all of God's people. Humility acknowledges the dignity of all of God's people. We must learn to give people dignity. And that is done through the act of humility. So then what is humility? What are some ways that we can remain humble? Number one, serving others. That's a big one. Humility replaces exercising our opinions to serving with influence. So really it's a matter of are you an observer or are you a team player? Everyone is the best soccer player when they're observing. But they're not in the game. They're not a part of what God's doing. They're not advancing any, any goals, whatever it is you call them. Goals? Yeah. Sorry. Like I tried with the sports thing again, but baskets, something, I don't know. But are you, <laughs> are you a team player or are you someone that's purely observing what's going on? Because humility actually requires you to be a team player. Because if you're an observer, guess what you're doing? You're on your lonesome. You're by yourself having a look at what everyone else is doing wrong in your organization, everyone else is doing in your family. You're not a part of the team. But God has called us to be in humility to be a part of the team. Humility is confidence in oneself to serve others. Did you know humility is not this this self doubt. It's not this like wearing down of self. It's actually the building of self-confidence so you can serve others. Humility is not something where you're a doormat and people just walk all over. That's a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ because we will read later on in Philippians 2, Jesus Christ humbled himself, not to be a doormat, but to be a victor, to be the savior that would give us salvation and overcome the grave and overcome death and overcome sin. Humility is not some weak thing. You are not weak in humility. Humility is confidence in yourself to serve others. It isn't about how we advance ourselves. It's about how we advance others. Are you advancing people closer to Christ? That's what we're talking about. Are you pushing people in your serving of them closer to Jesus? If you're not, then you need to ask yourself, God, help me to remain humble. Are you making things better for the people around you? Like, do people actually like being around you? That's a good indicator to know if you're making things better for them. I don't like being around you because you make my life difficult or you, you're not helpful to my life. If that seems to be the thing that people say about you, then maybe you need to have a bit of self-measurement and go, God, show me what I need to do in my heart to be helpful to others. To, to do that by the law of love that you've given us. Are you making things better for the people around you? That's a really good question. Are you stifling their relationship with others and with Christ? This is what humility fights against. That's that division. Humility does not divide, it brings unity. Albert Einstein said, only a life lived in the service of others is worth living. Matthew 23, 11, Jesus says this, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. 
in your serving of others, is it for self-gratification? This is something that is a really hard thing to constantly fight when it comes to humility because you actually feel good about serving others. Like, like I feel good about serving others. If you don't feel good about serving others, then check your heart. But like God doesn't want you to feel bad about serving others. He wants you to feel good about it. What he's asking is what is the primary focus of you serving others? Is it for your self-gratification? Because that's not humility. Humility actually honors those and serves those not for the reward, but then we get debunked because God gives us a reward anyways. He rewards those who are humble. It's not Humility isn't just about not bringing harm to others. It's about helping others. And helpfulness and humility have a synergy where the outcome is others. You know, so often we read the scripture about be slow to speak, right? Sometimes humility does not look like your mouth. It looks like your ears. Sometimes humility is actually not pouring out your wisdom all the time or your perceived wisdom, but it's a pause. It's a pause and seeing what happens in that pause. I grew up with six siblings. Like words were everywhere because like we were fighting to have a voice. We all like, oh, it's Laura's turn to speak. I want to speak. Like we were constantly like having a voice. And so the pause for my family was really awkward. We'd be like, we would have to fill it with like something. And if we didn't have words, we'd just be like, do, 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 do. Like we would just make noises because we didn't know how to be silent. And it was a great learning uh, process for me to pause and to let my ears be the thing that actually showed my humble heart because it was in that space that people started to share, that people started to talk, and what I perceived as the problem started to have a lot more clarity brought to it because my perception was based upon what? Me, my perception. So as soon as you open up that space for others to actually speak, I tell you what, you're able to help advance them to Christ a lot easier. I remember Ben and I, we were meeting up with someone who was on their journey of, of finding Christ and they had a lot of different questions and they were processing, you know, like all the different faiths and religions. And so Ben and I had lunch with them and I was just like getting the conversation going. And like, to me, Ben was like fully switched off. And I was in my head, this is what was going, I am gonna talk to you later about how disengaged you were in that conversation. Like, buddy, this is a big problem. Like, I was so mad that he seemed to be switched off. And then like, I ran out of material. So I was like, oh, it's an awkward moment now, which do not do well in. And so this moment happened and in this pause, and I'm just like, we're just looking at each other. And I'm like, that's awkward. Like, ah, eye contact. Um, <laughs> and in that moment, Ben just starts to speak. And turns out my assumptions about my husband were wrong. And he'd been listening this whole time. Listening to what she was saying, but also to what she was not saying. Listening to the things that were actually not being spoken about, and he was able to, because he listened, because he was slow to speak, speak into things that were under the surface, that actually that helped propel more of a discovery of Jesus. See, often we need to be slower with our words and not fill the space with words, but listen, listen to what people are trying to say. You know, unity is actually a product of humility, isn't that a cool thought, that unity is a product of humility? We read it in Philippians 2. This is like 
I know you're not supposed to have like favorite children and likewise not have favorite scripture verses, but this is like my favorite scripture verse. So sorry to all the other scripture verses. I do love you dearly. But this is like, this like amps me. Like I get so excited when I read this. It's a perfect representation of everything I believe. I'm going to read it. Are you excited? Yeah, all right, whatever. Okay, Philippians 2. Therefore, who knows this one? It's a good one. You should know this one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you notice in here how it says, don't have, it doesn't say don't have ambitions? It says don't have selfish ambitions. God isn't saying, well, you can't dream, you can't have hopes. You can't actually have ambition. No, no, no. What he's saying is in your dreams, in your ambitions, do they include people? Do they include those around you? Do they propel people around you closer to Jesus? He's saying, I want you to dream. I want you to actually have ambition. I want you to be a church that pushes forward in this counterculture world. I want you to have those things, hold dear to them, but make sure they include people. Like, make sure they're actually in service of others. Because of Christ's humility in laying himself down, we are spurred into unity. It is a natural response to Christ's humility is to be spurred into unity. So we learn from Christ being humble that we too, in our humility, it brings about unity. So if you've got a problem at work, there's a division. I'm not talking about having the same personality type. I'm being on the same, talking about having the same heart, being on the same page, sharing that same love. If there is a division, guess what's going to bring unity? Humility. Humility brings about unity that we so desire. Nobody wants to be at conflict. Nobody likes that feeling of like constantly having some fight going on. So humble ourselves, thinking about others, thinking about God, thinking about what he desires and come in humility and see what God does. See how God breaks down that divide. He brings unity through it. Humility exists actually in the practice of relationship with others. It, humility requires relationship. You know, if, you know, you watch those alien movies and they're like, they latch onto a person and it's like their host, you know? Do you guys watch alien movies? No, me either. It's totally unbiblical. Um, <laughs> but like you have a host, right? It's like this alien latches on and like it's a host. Like if you were to talk about what is humility's host, people would be like, yeah, the instant reactions, it's me. I'm like, no, it's not. You are not the host for humility. It's relationship. Like humility is present in relationship. So if you're void of relationship, then where does humility grow? Where does humility get strengthened? You need to be in relationship with each other to remain humble. You need to have relationship with others so that you can show humility to this world. Just as Christ did, as we read in Philippians 2, humility also transforms us. Humility requires transformation. 
It invites change where change is needed. Jesus' words cut straight to the heart, saying that external behaviors and internal attitudes can no longer not be separated. You can't have them on two separate sides of the field. Your external behavior and your internal processing and attitude, they're one and the same. That's what, that's what we talk about when we talk about having integrity or not being hypocrites. This is talking about what is in your heart comes out. He constantly challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees with this thought. So if you want people to change, if you've got this list of things of people to change in their life, guess how that's done? By letting them see the change happen in your life. Monkey see, monkey do. Like I have to remind myself of that when being a parent all the time. It's like, oh, why do they not do that? Why do they? It's like most often it's because I haven't done that. I haven't actually shown them how to do these things. I haven't actually taught them. Humility actually produces a teachable attitude. How else can you change unless you're willing to be taught? In Matthew 18, two to four, it says, and Jesus called the child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, what do children do? Like, what do children do? What's like, what do kids do? They learn. They learn at home how to tie their shoelaces. They learn at school how to do math. They learn with their siblings how to have conflict. Like, they're learning. They're constantly learning. Um, my three-and-a-half-year-old, Eden, who knows who Eden is? She's the little one. She's always got chocolate on her face. That's her. Um, <laughs> but she's doing ballet, on Wednesday, she goes in and does ballet, and, and it's the sweetest thing. Catherine's daughter, uh, Brooke and Catherine's daughter, Gracie does it too, and she's just, they're the sweetest girls. And, like, they're learning how to be, like, these little three-year-old ballet dancers. And it's so funny because, like, they'll be like, okay, now it's time to come and do a turn. It's real basic stuff, people. And they do a turn. But, like, the kids, they don't like losing eye contact, so they do this. And, like, they don't actually turn. I'm like, you guys got to turn around, right? Like, like you do understand that if you're going to be a professional ballet dancer, you need to learn how to turn. <laughs> now, I'm not making any promises that Eden is going to be a professional ballet dancer. I actually don't know that path for her life. I mean, I would love it, but I'm not projecting that on her. <laughs> but where are professional ballet dancers birthed? In the three-and-a-half-year-old ballet classes. As children, they're learning Children learn. And Christ is saying in this passage that we need to come in humility as children to be teachable. Are you someone who's teachable? You might be someone who's really good at teaching people. Are you teachable? Can you actually let iron sharpen iron in your life and be transformed by it? Psalms 25.9, it says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. That's the great thing. In humility, you don't have to know it all. Like God's saying, I'm going to guide you. Like I've literally got a plan as to how to guide you in this. It's not like giving a baby, like, what is that saying? Baby without bath or give bath or whatever. Anyways, we'll just move right on. <laughs> sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. But he actually teaches us and guides us in the ways of humility. So we don't have to do this alone. The next one is counterculture. See, your reputation, my reputation, is what others think about us. 
Our character, however, is what God knows about us. Are we someone of character or are we someone that chases reputation? I know for me, I constantly want to be someone of character because if I can let my character shine, because reputation fades. Reputation is, is bound on what you can do today. Character is who you are yesterday, who you are today, and who you're going to be tomorrow, believing that your character is growing through Christ. Whenever you see someone who's like, they come in and they're like, man, I am so cool, like, I'm the best at this, like, I've got so much, we don't say swagger anymore, that's so 2008, um, but, like, you know, they're really full of themselves. Like, they kind of, like, they puff themselves up. Doesn't a little bit, maybe this is just me and I'm being oversharing, don't you just want to, like, knock them down to size just a little bit? In Australia, we have this term called the tall poppy syndrome. It's terrible. It's actually not godly. Um, but basically, as soon as anyone starts declaring how good they are at something, everyone just surrounds them and, like, oh, are you? Like, that's so cool. You're so good at that. Like, we just tend to knock people down to size. And so when we see these people come in and they're really arrogant and they, they s tell you that they know everything and they're so wise and they're so cool and whatever, you kind of just want to see them, like, maybe you don't want to do it, but you want to see them get a little bit of pie in the face. Just a little bit. Yet when you see someone else who's serving quietly, humbly, not coming in for acknowledgement, but serving where others may not, helping people when no one's watching? Don't you want them to have the reward that they so deserve? Don't you want to elevate that? They're the ones usually that are packing up when no one's watching or when they're not being told to. If we're to look at it from a purely church serving perspective, they're the ones that do stuff unseen. That's, that's humility. See, we talk about this thing of self. The problem with, like, when we're talking about self-esteem in the world, it's all birthed out of what? Self. So, but Christ actually challenged us not to let that be the thing that launches our self-esteem, not to let it be the first thing. Actually, in Proverbs it says, um, I totally just lost my notes. In Proverbs it actually says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's not self-awareness is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. It's the acknowledgement of who he is in awe and wonder, knowing where he sits in our lives, knowing how strong he is, how powerful he is. It's that acknowledgement that's the beginning. That's where it starts. That's the foundation. However, the world is all about, no, you're the foundation of you. But the problem with that is that we're constantly changing depending on our moods, depending if we had lunch or not, depending if, if like someone encouraged us that week or not, depending on these things, these factors, that depends on our self-esteem. But the Bible's actually saying, no, it's the fear of the Lord. It's not being, oh, God's so scary. It's knowing who he is on high, knowing that he is a God of awe and wonder. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. You look around you in this beautiful North Shore, like, man, God's a good creator. Like, he did real good on those trees. Humility, okay, Ed came out to me after the 9 a.m. service, and he told me this thing because he's been reading this. I don't even know if Ed's here. So this is like all Ed. So I feel like I should just get him up to preach, but he would hate that because he's super humble. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? It isn't thinking less of yourself. See, you don't have to be a doormat to be humble. You don't have to be someone that's insignificant or no value. 
It isn't, a lack, it isn't about a lack of self-confidence, but so often when we forget to be humble, it's a lack of self-measurement. If the Bible says to make sure that you measure yourself, that you actually see where your heart is, that you take time to reflect and measure yourself. Humility requ- requires us to reflect not in inferiority, but in confidence in the fact that we need to remain teachable so that we can better ourselves by serving others. Self-worth is important. A healthy self-esteem is critical to actually responding to the call of God in your life. But it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of that. Proverbs 15:33 says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. If we're thinking that humility is like this lesser being, like you're less worthy of God or less worthy, literally in this passage, it says, If my people who are called by my name, we've been called by God's name into humility. Humility is not weak. Humility is, oh, actually, you need to identify that you've been called by God's name. And in that name, that powerful name, we're called to humility. I love it because it actually says, how can we get a pattern of humility, um, which God responds with honor to? One, pray. It says, pray, have relationship with God, speak to God, know who you're talking to. Two, seek his face. Seek after his ways, know his law, know his goodness, know how it is that he wants you to live. Like seek that. Actually, it's all good, so you may as well seek it. And then three, turn from our sin. Don't live stuck in the shackles that Christ has already broken. Don't live in that way. The good news is that we don't come to Christ because we are humble. We come to Christ because he is humble. In Matthew 22 We read this parable of the wedding banquet and it says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, fat and calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. It doesn't say you're ready, so come. It says, no, I'm ready for you. See, I've prepared a feast. I've prepared everything for you purely just to come. See, that's the great message of Jesus Christ is you don't have to be humble enough to come to him to get humility. Like, he's well aware that sin is in this world and that we are at fault and we have these things that we carry. And so what does he do? He prepares a banquet for us. Like, how counter that is exactly loving your enemies like sin is the enemy of Christ right like sin is against Christ and we at times live in sin and operate in sin yet Christ shows us love by preparing for us this banquet this life this glory this honor even though we're not worthy don't worry if you're not humble enough yet okay we aren't but he is it's basically the message of Christ I'm going to ask the band to come on up This is the message of Christ, humility before honor, the cross before the crown. We want to skip the hardships in remaining humble so that we don't have to endure those hardships so that we can get the honor and glory. So why is it that we have these hardships that we must overcome in humility? I can honestly tell you 
We will not be able to handle the honor that God wants to give us if we haven't endured in humility through those things. God wants us to have good things. He wants us to know how to handle those things. He wants us to know he wants us to show others how to handle that honor. Without because of because without walking the path of humility, we don't know how to handle honor. We don't know how to honor others. If we don't know how to handle that honor, how to treat that honor that God so desires to pour out on us, how are we going to honor others? How are we going to humbly serve others? Humility shows us how to receive and and give honor by overcoming hardship. Isn't it funny that when we become people of influence, we forget how to serve others when it was that very act of humility that made our influence something to be noticed? We forget about it. Can I encourage us, church, not to forget about those things, those things that seemed simple at the beginning, and we let it sometimes get overcomplicated by other things that are a priority. Don't let those simple things fall. Hold on to those very dearly. Know how to serve. That's, that's simple, right? Like, active serving one another is not a new concept. It's not something that's like, whoa, Emma, that's so deeply profound. Like, it's a simple thing. But do we do the simple well? Do we do the simple with excellence? And this is our challenge, is to make sure that in this simple act of remaining humble, that we don't let it turn into something that it's not, that we don't overcomplicate it to a point that we've forgotten the very word that Christ gave us at the beginning. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says this, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God's mighty hand. That tells me humility is strength. God's hand. Under God's hand. Humility under God's hand. That's strong. That's not weak. That's not feeble. Luke 14, 11, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Our call to humility can be summed up in this passage that we find in Philippians. And I'll get you to stand with me, church, as we get ready to get into a time of worship. But it says this. Why don't you just close your eyes in this moment and actually hear these words and let them sit in your heart right now. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, our prayer this morning is that as we remain humble, as we strive to remain humble, Lord God, that it would be to your glory to the advancement of your kingdom, that we would always be building up your kingdom by remaining humble. 
we come to you this morning hearts soft, hearts ready to learn from you, hearts ready to make changes where changes need to be made, hearts ready to have healing where healing needs to be made. We humble ourselves now in your presence, Father God. Do what you only, only you can do, Lord. Let's worship, church. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.